Deezer Originals. This is Defending in Numbers. It's transfer deadline day and this is Defending in Numbers where we walk down the corridor of uncertainty pretending to know a little bit more about football than we actually do. My name is Rob Armstrong and it always has been. And joining me today is Jake Entwistle. How are you doing, Jake? Yep, great to be here. And the excellence of elocution. <laughs> yeah, George it. Alec. <laughs> How you doing? Hi, mate. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Is everyone excited for transfer deadline day? Jake's already threatened to get his top off, so <laughs> are we Are we in that kind yeah. of mood? Is yeah. it a top off that, a deadline it's a, it's day a, kind of mood? It's a, it's a swing your shirt around your head sort of day. It's going to be exciting stuff. And George, who are Oxford signing? Messi? <sighs> Apparently we're getting someone from the uh, Swedish second division, so I'm looking forward to that one, to, to go along with that Azerbaijani left back. I personally can't wait. All right, then. Get your tops off with the week by numbers. The week by numbers. All right, George and Jake, I know you two love numbers. And we're going to start with number 57, which is the number of England caps that Jermaine Defoe currently has, which is the most of any outfield player in the current squad. Next is Gary Cahill with 55. Does that say that England have a lack of experience or are we just bringing through a new crop of talented youngsters or do we need a few more old heads in there? I think that experience is, is important when it's good experience and I think that Jermaine Defoe, for all the, the fans he has around the country, he, I think he's, he's the fact he's in our squad is a damning indictment of it really. <laughs> um, he only scored 10 uh, goals from open play last season and people say he was playing for a bad Sunderland team. I think that part of the reason why Sunderland were bad was because he was in it and you're basically playing with 10 men when he's on the pitch. So yeah, I think that Southgate's new regime he came in promising kind of a new generation of talent coming through and he hasn't really provided it oh, I completely agree there's not there's not um, there's no need for experience when it isn't going to add anything to your side and you've got players like Jermaine Defoe who as George just said is, is not going to offer you that much he, he will score you the odd goal he obviously came back and scored after God knows how many games where he didn't play but I really feel like now with Wayne Rooney's retirement that should be sort of the the signal to bring in a new era we the England uh, youth teams had unprecedented success this summer we won the first ever under 20 World Cup we won our first under 19 championship for a while and I just feel like if you look at the models of Spain and Germany and and, and countries like that the reason they are so successful is because they have a group of players that play together for a decade and I think we've now got the chance with I'm not knocking Rooney, Wayne Rooney at all. He obviously was a very good player. Sounds but, like you are, Jake. <laughs> but I just think now, Gareth Southgate as well, the fact that he was under-21's manager, I feel like he knows that level a bit more. And we've seen with the introduction of Nathaniel Chalaba into this squad, I think there's a real sign that we might start forming a younger base to the side and slowly phase out the older members. And I, don't, I think that can only be a benefit for England. I mean, you know, you know the under twenty ones are ready because they've lost to Germany in a penalty shootout, so they must be ready for the step up to the senior side. The word experience alone, like these England players who've been around for for ten or so years, what have they experienced? Like failure, Pain. like consistent failure. Heartache. So you're bringing in players in, into a squad who all they know about is losing at major tournaments, and that's like the, <laughs> the opposite of what we want. Like Jermaine Defoe's come in, he's been knocked out of like five major tournaments. So we have been particularly bad in the last ten years. <laughs> yeah, as well, yeah, haven't we? yeah, exactly. So like, what what are they experienced? Fine, they, they've been playing the Premier League a lot. They've they've been there, they've done that, played a lot of football. But when it comes to England camps and and, and England dressing rooms, I don't know, going to have much to it. Nice to have your home fans booing you. <laughs> the quote that defines a generation of footballers. Next number, your pests. 17, the number of successful dribbles by Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain so far this season, more than any other Premier League player, followed by Paul Pogba with 12. Why do Chelsea and Liverpool want 
Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and do they even want him? Is it, is it just his agent saying, well, I'm going here? Oh, I think they do want him. I think it, it looks like at the time of speaking, he's turned down and moved to Chelsea um, in favour. He wants to go to Liverpool. I think the reason... Um, you know, teams are wanting him, but fairly obvious. English talent is comes at a premium, and for, for squad quotas and stuff, it's important to have them. He is a very, very talented footballer, as well as being a very good athlete. He's got pace. He's good on the ball, as you've, as you've alluded to. He can, he can dribble with it and take it forward. He can play in a variety of positions, which I think at Arsenal has been his downfall, basically, because um, no one, for the last six years, no one's known what his best position is. Um, but I think, you know, the, the benefits of having him on uh, on your team is uh, are quite obvious in your squad and also for 35 million quid in this market it's it's not very much money you're an athlete and a talented footballer <laughs> as well as someone who knows Arsenal maybe too well yeah. uh, what what does Oxlade-Chamberlain bring that the top sides might want um, well what they won't want is the frustration he causes at times um, I, I really think he's one of the best in the league and it's shown by the fact that he's dominating this statistic already at isolating a player and just breezing past them the only problem is, is his decision-making can sometimes let him down. And when he's acting on pure instinct and burning past players and just firing it straight across, that's when you see the best of him. And I think in a system like Arsenal's, where it's too slow sometimes, um, that's when his weaknesses come to the fore. But in a team like Chelsea or Liverpool, whichever he decides to move to, if he does move at all, there are teams that are sort of high-octane, high-action, and that's his playstyle down to a T. We saw Chelsea play against Spurs uh, when they won at Wembley and, and they were sort of using their central midfielders and wide players to an extent to just carry the ball forward on their own, sort of one-man clearance machines. And I think Oxlade-Chamberlain can be that sort of player for Chelsea. He's obviously apparently declined the move uh, the move because he doesn't want to play right wing back. And although I think that's where he would play the most at Chelsea because Victor Moses, again, he, he's got the attributes that suit that role and Conte's just moulded him perfectly to a, a tactical weapon in that sense so I think Chamberlain would benefit from that at Chelsea but I could also see him despite what he thinks maybe playing a more central midfield role and, and using him to just bring Chelsea up the pitch as a sort of a, a bulldozer alongside Bakayoko who they've just signed I think there was a clear emphasis on on having central midfielders that can carry the ball forward on their own. And for Chelsea, I think he'd be a valuable asset in that sense. As long as they don't give him time to think. It's a bit like a, yeah. a midfield Carlton Cole. Like Carlton Cole, the minute you gave him a second to think, yeah. awful. But, you know, in those split seconds, he'd produce magic. That's a, that's I'm a, you. That's a serious hot take. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm, is the hottest I'm, of hot takes. I'm, I'm glad we're here to tell you what's actually going on in the football world. <laughs> I remember Carlton Cole, right? Let's, let's just... Let's just Delve back into Colton Cole <laughs> memories. We were playing against Spurs and he scored a left foot volley. You give him no time to think, he'll score a volley from 35 yards and then <laughs> literally from kickoff. <laughs> it was on purpose. <laughs> literally from kickoff. He got the ball, passed it straight to Jermaine Defoe, who scored. You know, you've got to play to, that's as a, as a, as got to, play to the streets of a genius, haven't you? All right, next number. Three. Big numbers, big numbers. The number of league games Gareth Barry needs to play to overtake Ryan Giggs for the most top-flight appearances in the Premier League era. Peter Shilton is the most overall, all-time, with 849. But Gareth Barry, how has he silently gone about being Premier League Don, just by, workhorse? Just by playing in loads of positions for loads of seasons without ever really getting injured for loads of different teams. Um, you know, And it's laudable, to be honest. He, he's progressed. I think when he came through the ranks at Villa, he was initially an attacking player. And then when he kind of broke into the first team, he was a left-back. And then he went to City and became, became something of like... Almost a kind of a box-to-box midfielder for a time there, holding predominantly defensively when he was a bit more of an athlete. And then he 
Everton has just be- become a man who, a bit of a crab who likes to foul. Um, and now he's moved on again. So, you know, we, we talk often about Rooney. Rooney's biggest defenders talk about how many times he's managed to um, kind of redefine himself as a player. And you think that Gareth Barry is someone who's also been able to do that. And, and well, well and as well. A, as a, and as a species. No, as a crab, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, like metamorphosis. But um, yeah, so, you know, the, the guys who, who are going to have the most experience in the Premier League are always going to be the ones who stay fit and he's stayed fit and stayed useful at the top level for a long time so good on him and he, he's now in a team that I think will be perfect for him as well for the crabs yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Tony Pulis said like uh, in, after their their recent game he said oh Gareth Barry was the only player that looked fitter as the match went on so I think that testament to what George just said really Gareth Barry's carved out this career by being as just a superbly fit athlete and at times he has been a good player for Aston Villa he was sort of on every set piece taking penalties scoring goals and, and was their talisman and then he sort of regressed further down the pitch and he's been humble about it I think that's why it's been such a long career he's never had any gripes that I need to be number 10 at number th- um, at 36 years old he's sort of realised what his um, capabilities are and what his limitations are he's moved back and at Everton as George said again he's he was just fouling. He was there to... He, he was there. That was his role and he played it well. He's the most booked player in the Premier League history as well. And there's a reason for that. It's because he's become an enforcer that maybe doesn't have the pace and strength of a modern day enforcer. So he's there. He's bringing people down. But in a team like West Brom as well, that will be sitting back... Bringing around, but lifting people up. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's carrying the team, um, <laughs> but also felling the opposition. So... Uh, so in, in like 15 years' time, is this going to be James Milner on his 48th birthday? Yeah, it birthday? could be. I mean, he, he started when he was 16 didn't he? So yeah. at Leeds, so so you know, very easily could be. Um, 120 under 21 caps. But I think, I mean, I think if I mean, there are rumours that um, you know Krakowiak's going to be going to um, West Brom, um, and if that's true, you can see them being a pretty pretty decent partnership, and that they're both going to be very hard to break down. They're both going to be very good at, you know, winning possession back. And then Barry's the perfect foil for Krakowiak because he'll just give him the ball. And he's a he's a fantastic kind of deep-lying um, playmaker. We saw for Poland, especially in the Euros, that he's he's really, really good with the ball at his feet. He's more than just a defensive midfielder. So that could be proper, proper midfield too if they can pull that off. Let's drop down a division to Leeds United. The number of goals that Leeds have scored in all competitions in August is 16, the most in their history. And that's without... Now Burnley striker Chris Wood leads. Are they finally going to return to what they once were? Uh, very, champions of Europe. Very, very early no, days. They weren't champions of Europe. Champions of England. Semi, semi, semi-final. Yeah, uh, semi-finalists of Europe. Um, With Lee Bowyer. Yeah, at the helm. It's, it's. I'm surprised um, how they're doing because they lost Gary Monk um, to Middlesbrough. Uh, who got them within touching distance of the playoffs before a really alarming uh, slide at the end of the season. Um, and Wood, obviously, started the season playing, but he's gone to Burnley now. But And their transfer policy this summer, they brought in Christensen, um, who's a left-field appointment for manager anyway. And they brought in players from all over Europe who no one's really heard of before. And, and it looks like they've their recruitment strategy has been spot on. And their sporting director, whose name skates me now, but he worked under Monchi at, at Seville. So he's got pedigree of, of being a proper, you know, someone who, who knows how to recruit players. Um Kemar Roof is a player that I know very well because he played at Oxford um, and they, he was played chronically out of position all last season on the on the right wing. I, I basically don't think Monk knew what he was buying. I think he thought he was buying a winger when he actually got a striker. He scored four goals in the two games since um, uh, Wood left playing in a, in a striker striker's role, which is a dagger through the hearts of Oxford fans who thought we might have a chance of getting him back on loan. But, you know, it's, it's very early days and you feel like there's something of a new manager bounce. You feel like there's something of, of a new, new player bounce as well because they've got this new squad in. So let's not get carried away, but at the moment it's looking really, really positive. Do they still have the nutcase owner Cellino is it no he left, he left so it's now um, an Italian businessman oh well 
That always ends well. Yeah. <laughs> Jake, how much a lead are you seeing? The the transfer policy that George mentioned is something that's interested me. And um, the, the particular player that they've recently just bought is this hulking 19-year-old Dutch forward called J. Roy Grot, I think is how it's pronounced. What a name. What a perfect um, name for a Leeds United forward. And I just think, in terms of the fact that they sold Chris Wood, this guy could be... He's not a like-for-like replacement, and I'm not expecting him to score the most goals in the championship, but I just think it's a sign that a bit of excitement might be brought back. Uh, I watched this guy play in the European Under-19 Championships, and he played against England and was genuinely up front, holding off four or five players on his own. Uh, sort of a, a one-man team, because England were dominating the game. And I just think signings like that will sort of bring the excitement back to, to Ellen Road. And in the league this season, they've created the third most chances in the division and had the fifth most shots. So we're talking about them scoring a lot of goals. They're also sort of getting in the final third and there's definitely an attacking fluidity to their play and, and they're trying to play football the right way. So I think with the combination of a new manager, some new players in, as, again, as George said, they might be riding the wave a bit at the beginning, but I think the signs are there that they, they could make a push. They were obviously close last season, so any improvement might see them uh, move into that top six. There is nothing more exciting than grot. <laughs> I can tell you that much. Less. Do you remember grot bags from? Was it Emu's World? That might be. Uh, that might have gone over the head of <laughs> yeah, everyone. Listen, I think it was like an old witch from a children's TV show. Grot, grot bags. Absolutely no idea. Anyway, right. Joe Roy Grot, <laughs> one of my favourite witches in history. And next number is six hundred percent. That's six hundred out of one hundred. Uh, that's how much Usman Dembele's transfer value has increased in a single year after signing for Dortmund for a reported 15 million euros in 2016. He's now moved to Barcelona to replace Neymar for 105 million. What are we getting with Dembele then, Jake? I know you've got a very special yeah. word for this. Oh, yeah. So the word that I want to use is, is ambipedal. It's grot back, no. Yeah, it's grot back. But no, seriously... Um, Usman Dembele is almost a marvel in a sense and again it sounds like I'm completely hyping up he's obviously 20 years old but when when people talk about footballers need to be able to use both feet a lot of them can use both feet but it's rare that you see someone that's so natural and you generally don't know which foot he is um, when France played England recently and they made us look silly he was just running through everyone um, a sort of interview resurfaced of him when he was at Rennes um, and he was talking to the interviewer and the interviewer was saying, so which foot are you? And he said, left foot. And he said, but you shoot with your right. And he goes, yeah. <laughs> so why do you shoot with your right? Because I shoot better with it. And so after that, I jumped into all the numbers and looked at it. And he, it turns out that he scored more goals with his right foot. He has more assists with his left foot. He takes more shots. He's got a better conversion rate and a higher shot accuracy with his right foot. But all his creation comes with his left. So I think this massive increase in transfer value is... is it's obviously distorted in the fact that figures this season are are ridiculous, but I think he will be worth the money. He is a similar sort of player to Neymar. They both love to dribble. They'll they'll both rack up tons of assists. And um, in the Champions League last season, Neymar was top of take-ons. Neymar was top of assists. Uh, the player behind him was Dembele. So if you're looking purely at numbers and, and metrics and tables, Ousmane Dembele is the is the perfect replacement for Neymar. He's definitely not as good as Neymar is now, but at 20 years old and in, in, a, in a team where it's probably the worst time to join, but I feel like he might get more responsibility because of that. Uh, I really think they've got a really exciting player and, and genuinely when you see him running down the wing, crossing it with his left and then taking a penalty with the right foot, it's something really enjoyable to see. Sounds like a real sick freak. 
yeah, he's. Uh, I, I think I think the best thing about him for, for for people who haven't seen him much is just how incredible he is to watch. Like you get those players who are just you know Messi is certainly one of them who is just an absolute treat to to, to watch them do do what they do and he'll collect the ball from deep and he'll get you um, on the edge of your seat and get you standing up because what he's good at is 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 a rare rare thing and he's so young and he's so raw. He made his debut for for Ren in September 2015, so under two years ago, and that was in Liga. He never played professional football before and, that, and they got. A load of the money from the transfer as well, <laughs> so didn't they? Thirty million euros. Which so they broke their then. broke their record without without even selling, selling a player. player, right? Yeah, so that's pretty yeah, exactly. good for them. Everyone um, was a winner, really. I think I think it's a massive signing, and I think that in, in Neymar, they obviously had a world class player who's who's absolutely brilliant, but not on the level of um, of the two others that you know stood in his way for those Ballon d'Or for so long. Um, and I think that in Dembele, by the time Neymar, those two have gone on. It'll be Neymar and uh, and and uh, and Dembele amongst others. He'll be fighting for it as well. So great tragedy yeah. for Neymar. He did commit the crime of trying to do a rainbow in his presentation. Though. Yeah, it was, oh, it was yeah. He genuinely. The thing is, though, you could he tell really he was bothered with it. Didn't you he? could you could tell he was twenty years old in that. He I'm, just. I'm, he I'm, was I'm a, looking forward to all the people who've watched that and gone down to the pubs and told their mates yeah. how, how bad he is. Yeah. Just hundred and five End up watching him being like, yeah. oh right, he's yeah. actually. Oh, they know more than just seeing him do keepy uppies at there. Okay, cool. He's good. Yeah. It was fair though, Paulinho. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Barcelona managed to spend 145 million on six keep-ups. <laughs> anyway, tops off for I'm Embarrassed to Ask. I'm Embarrassed to Ask. Right, I'm Embarrassed to Ask this week. Since it is deadline day and everyone has broken a transfer record by 6 million percent. <laughs> financial fair play, right? Firstly, what is it? Secondly, does anyone still use it? Thirdly, who is it even helping? Right, so PSG have just spent nearly half a billion euros, right, on, on Neymar's transfer fee and his salary. And then Barcelona are going and spending 105 euro, a million euros. PSG are looking like they're going to spend however much on Kylian Mbappe as well, even though it's on loan, but they're going to put it back to next year. Like Financial fair play this year, for what I know of it, doesn't seem to really exist, right? Because they're still just spending huge, huge sums of money it's a common misconception that it's there to kind of stop teams spending money it's there to basically prevent debt and that's the important thing because too many football clubs are spending beyond their means in, a, in an attempt to kind of try and force success um, and therefore that's what UEFA kind of stepped in to try and prevent Everton for example are able to get away with it because of Romelu Lukaku and that you know that 75 million pound fee just goes straight into the plus column and they can just spend that at their will despite the ridiculous increase um, in transfer fees this summer um, if you actually look into the, the details, it's normally consistent within what revenue a club brings in to what they spend on transfer fees. And because it increased TV deals and the like, actually the, the percentage of revenue that clubs are spending on transfer deals hasn't really even gone up. It's just the case revenue spiked, so therefore the transfer fees are spiked. So these huge sums of money aren't actually necessarily getting people in trouble for FFP because they're earning more. Having said that, um, if you're looking at PSG specifically, you know, the Neymar deal is obviously taking out a lot, big chunk of what they're allowed to spend. So if you're looking at what they're doing with Mbappe, it looks like, they're probably going to sign him on loan for the first year and then and then buy him next year. Naby Keita is the same thing. Just like the second loophole in Ronix. Didn't they give Neymar the 300 million euros personally? There are so, so many loopholes. I mean, if you look at, you know, PSG have come unsubbed by in the past and Man City, but then if you... And, and you get docked um, how many players you can have in your, in your European squad. But then, if you sort it out in a certain amount of time, then the then the um, the, 
punishments get rescinded. Um, if you look at what AC Milan are doing, there's within FFP, there's a, a loophole saying if you've been taken up by new owners, you have three years to sort your finances out before you get punished, which basically means that AC Milan have just gone absolutely bananas and they'll worry about it in a couple of years and try and sort it out. Then to explain what it is, you know, people on Twitter just replying with FFP to when they're when they're um, when their rival. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's what I reply to every tweet. <laughs> when, to be when, when their rival clubs make a signing, I think I'm missing the point somewhat. It's not there to curtail spending. It's there to to, to stop these big businesses who are spending beyond their means and, and therefore getting into financial difficulty. We've had it, seen it so much in the UK with with Leeds, you know, especially about a decade ago, Portsmouth as well. You know, when clubs get the sniff of the big time and they try and overspend in order to maintain that, it can be really, really damaging. Um, and what we're seeing as well is smaller clubs um, because the TV deals uh, now have bigger revenue so the likes of Burnley spending 15 million quid on Chris Wood could never have happened five years ago the fact they now can isn't really an issue with FFP because they're earning so much money from the from the TV deals Barry to West Brom reply to tweet FFP <laughs> FFP I think it was on a free transfer as well so there probably was still some loophole in it but um yeah, the financial fair play in general, I think, just is just confusing more than anything. And I was, I was making, I was looking at the numbers behind it as uh, in typical fashion of this podcast. And and the general rule is, I I couldn't believe it. I, I still had to read it twice. But it, it's if you spend over five million euros of what you earn, that's technically a breach, which which seems incredible because that again that just reflects how much you're earning. But then I saw that immediately afterwards they said. Oh, but if you um, end up putting it back in, or your owner puts it back in, you can spend forty-five million euros over. Uh, oh, but this year we're moving that down to thirty million euros. But it's just the fact that that's such a massive gap between right. This is the rule: don't spend five million euros over what you're earning. Oh, wait, no, you can spend forty-five million euros. That's where the confusion lies: the fact that there's they, they not pretend, but they say that oh, it's not a percentage thing. So this suits uh, lower clubs because they'll probably never ever spend 5 million euros. So that 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 bracket for them is is great. But it just sort of, again, it just reflects badly on the big clubs. And I suppose that's what everyone focuses on. The weird thing about it is if you look at the sanctions, you know, PSG and City are probably the two most high profile clubs to have got big fines. But then because they balance their books, they then got reimbursed two thirds of their fine like a year later. It seems a bit troubling. What's, what's the point of fining? <laughs> They've got too much money. You're basically just paying a premium in order to, in order to do it. And the confusion lies... I mean, I'm not going to name names, but a certain um, national chief sports writer for a national newspaper who have a very big showbiz section wrote an article saying Everton are benefiting from the end of FFP. You know, FFP hasn't. So it's ended. helping them. It's not. It's not stopping them. It's helping. The fact them. that clubs like PSG are saying, "Yeah, we'll buy your best player, uh, the one of the hottest young talents in in world football, but we'll loan him for a first year and we promise to pay you next year." That's where I think surely there has to be some sort of rule where. I know that is in the contract that you're paying them next year, but I don't see how that can be allowed. And it's just weird that these rules are extended over three seasons. It's not just based on one season. If someone's putting money back in, then it's all fine. Your your ban gets rescinded. You get your players back. It just seems like they're really sort of piecemeal solutions to it. And if they really want to implement it and sort of make it so that teams aren't spending this massive amounts of money which again as George said I don't think is even the point but I just think there needs to be a bit more clarity and 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 in terms of in terms of when teams do 
do it badly and and do breach it, then there should be serious sanctions for it. There are so many loopholes, though. Aren't there? I, I think I, I, I just the one thing to remember is it's not for the fans. Like, it, why it, not? Nothing for the fans anymore. It's for the business. It's, it's to keep football in check. And whilst you know, there's there's a kind of a, an irony about the contradiction of, of fans wanting their um, their clubs to spend these huge fees on transfers and getting angry about other clubs not you know not falling foul of FFP. You can't have it both ways. Football is now just this multi-billion-pound industry and. It's gonna, that's going to lead to problems, and this is here to, to stop. This is here to stop those problems happening to clubs, rather than let fans kind of get annoyed about about other clubs spending money. So I, I just, yeah, I mean, it's, it's. I think it is important. I think it's not clear what it does, but again, I don't think that's much of an issue. But can't, like I said, with the paying Neymar the money, so he bought out his own contract thing, like. Why are there so many loopholes? I might be imagining that. To be honest, I imagine a lot of things, but I feel like I remember Man City's owners, who also own Etihad, giving money from Etihad yeah, to Man yeah. City to that's, get around that's financial what I mean. fair play. Right? But, that, but that's just the world of business. Yeah. I think that happens everywhere, and football's going to be no different. People are always going to find ways to pump in more money than, than, than they're probably allowed to. Alleg- allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. What's interesting about it as well is uh, you're allowed to spend as much money you want on infrastructure and, and training facilities and youth development and stuff. So they're, they're really trying to sort of pigeonhole it to transfers and they're trying to make clubs sort of better themselves within, from within. But the fact that so much money comes in and, and I think the, the desired impact of it to make clubs better and, and promote youth and, and build greater training facilities, I don't think that's working because that's not the best business, business model. You don't earn loads of money by waiting 10 years to bring up this one talent that you've nurtured in your academy you win titles by buying the best players. So even though they've tried to encourage people to spend in other areas, um, because of the loopholes and because, as George said, that is the way business works, it's still just always going to revolve around immediate transfers and and spending as much money as possible to get short gains. Basically, financial fair play is a football club owner lying in bed with a hangover extending his overdraft, but (laughs) his bank only lets him extend it so much. Unless you've got a loophole, which is like rich parents, right? Or, yeah. <laughs> in a vague... In a vague or, you've got, or you've got new parents and you've got three years to sort out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> They've just adopted you. They've got three yeah. years to spoil you yeah. until you slowly grow to resent each other. <laughs> I understand a bit more about that now. I'm still just going to complain about it. And on that note, let's get our tops off for Who's This Fella? Who's This Fella? Right then, you two monsters of the night. Talk to me about Nabi Kater or Kaita. I'm saying Kaita. I'm saying Kaita because so he's come from Germany. He's brilliant. Okay, right, okay. He's well, uh, end of all segment. Liverpool fans will agree with you because <laughs> apparently is the, the next the next big thing. Yeah, the I, best thing since sliced bread. He's, he's a very complete um, midfielder. I've seen, him, I've seen him uh, compared to a lot of players and I think that doesn't really do him justice. Um, the Kante comparisons are well wider than Mark because he's way, way better going forward. Um, I'd say even the Vieira comparisons are probably also off the mark because... Well, the Maradona <clears> comparisons. Probably more, you know, probably about right. Because basically he's he's someone who, who you know, he'll, his natural position is quite deep on the pitch and he is tenacious and he's energetic and he breaks down play well, but his his key ability is basically carrying the ball forward and then creating. He's got unbelievable final ball. He can finish as well. Some stats of his last season at Leipzig, he 1,403 passes, 83 take-ons, which I think Jake will tell you is the most in Europe. It was the most by a centre midfielder. There you go, Europe. the most by a centre midfielder, centre midfielder in Europe. 82 interceptions, 53 tackles, 8 goals, 7 assists. He can basically do it all. And um, and the good thing for Liverpool is that they're 
their midfield three, as it were, is is pretty stagnant. I would say it's pretty static. Um, Henderson and Chan are both obviously very talented ball players, especially Chan. I think his potential is is huge. Whereas Henderson's you know never going to be able to reach that elite level. But then in certain games, he is you know he's a very good kind of uh, deep lying playmaker. Gareth Barry, just about. Just three years years away from evolving into a crab. I know, and Vijnaldum's very good at knitting the play together. I don't think he's, you know, he started the season very well, but Kite's on a different level to them in terms of his athleticism, in terms of his end product, in terms of his ability on the ball. And I think that he will completely revolutionise their team um, from that area. We've seen so often with Liverpool how poor they are at breaking down teams who sit sit back. And Kite's eyes will literally light off if he gets a ball from, you know, just inside his own half and he looks up and he sees space in front of him with two banks of four he's just going to drive at it and that's going to not let teams sit back against, against them anymore Where was he before? Because I mean he's only really coming I, I mean I'd never Salzburg. heard of him before Has he only been there for a season? Because I mean Amizaki's had a good season right? <laughs> and he wasn't worth all this this talk So what? how do we know that this is not just one season wonder? Because like, uh, RB Leipzig had like an incredible year last yeah. year and They were sort of like the, the Monaco of the Bundesliga in the terms that sort of no one expected well, them yeah. to do well and um, they sort of they obviously didn't dominate the league because they came second, but they performed well above what everyone expected, even though they would probably argue that they knew they were going to do well. That Their team was perfectly set up. I think the transition from RB Leipzig to Liverpool will be a really easy one for Keita because George said that he'll, he'll definitely help breaking down back fours, but I think he's going to absolutely just make even better Liverpool's counter-attacking. He's going to add so much to the fact that he can win the ball. We talked about 80 interceptions, 80-plus take-ons. That was the only player that posted that high in, in, in both numbers in Europe's top five leagues last season. He's going to be devastating when he just reads the play, nicks the ball in front and just drives forward immediately. That's probably what they lack at the moment. Emre Chan is, is quite a powerful runner, but he although he, he, he throws out an odd step over, but he hasn't really got that guile and he sort of drives straight line running and he'll get you up the pitch, but after he's done the running, that's probably where it lets him down. He, he maybe panics. He's probably better off the ball running as we've seen by him scoring goals. So I think Emre Chan might have a... I think Liverpool need to tie him down and I would play sort of Emre Chan and Keita and then maybe Coutinho in there as well. That, that sort of front three, if he stays. But that's what... I, I think Chan's got a future, but Keita is sort of uh, a massive upgrade on Wijnaldum in terms that we saw Wijnaldum against Arsenal. That was the most take-ons he's ever completed a game, which was eight, and he completed 100% of them. But Naby Keita does that almost every game. He's got the most take-ons last season. He's already got 10 this season in the Bundesliga, which is the most out of any player. And and it's, it's really frightening to imagine Liverpool just holding back, a team trying to break through them, Naby Keita nicking in front, taking on two players, releasing Sadio Mane. That most, nine out of times out of ten, that's going to result in a goal next season. And nine out of ten? That's nine out of ten. This seems like enormous exaggeration to me, because what I'm hearing <sighs> here is like, Naby Keita is the best player ever. But I think he's got potential to be... What, the best player ever? No, Possibly, yeah. <laughs> well, that is. Well, no. Yeah. Who, who's, I mean, who, you, who, you said... Yeah. Who, who am I that, say? Who, you said I took a hot take. That's outrageous. <laughs> who, am, who am I say? He can't be. He's young. What is he, 22, 23? We're all young, George. Yeah, you, you could be too, mate. Oh, um, but, well, I'll um, leave then. But, uh, but, training. And all, but the, I mean, the other thing about Kaita, I mean, he says he's one season wonder. He, his, he, his form at Salzburg, where he played with Mane, so they've got a relationship anyway before. But oh, God, they are going to score nine out of ten but times. But um, you know, it was good enough that he, you know, Arsenal and Arsenal Wenger were very, very to bring him in but then because of the relationship with Red Bull classic um, awesome thing oh yeah, yeah. I, I saw this player I nearly brought him in <laughs> um, but you know and I think from what I've, I've heard Kaito was actually very keen to make that move but then because of the relationship between Red Bull Salzburg and Rassenbull 
um, at Leipzig <laughs> uh, meant that he went there. Um, but I'm, I'm really, really excited to see him in the Premier League. Um, they weren't allowed, allegedly, to call uh, them Red Bull Leipzig because of German... Uh, yes, I picked that match up. So, so it, means, it kind of means like, like racing ball racing or something. Racing ball? Yeah. So are Liverpool going to win the league when they've got him next year, Jake? I don't know if they'll win the league, but they'll but score... But he's the best player they'll, ever. They'll score, they'll score tons of goals, as I said. And 9 out of 10 might have been a bold statement, but <laughs> it was just to emphasise how, how perfect I think he is for their system. And um, they're going to take their play to a, another level when he joins the side next year. How come they've done this thing where they sign him a year in advance? Because all the prices I was reading for him were going to be like 60, 70 million and stuff. But now he's only going for 48 million, but in a year's time. I think this was a huge deal for Leipzig to... Because, I mean, they, have, they are unbelievably ambitious. I mean, Leipzig want to be the biggest team in Germany. Like, no question about it. They want to overtake Bayern Munich and, and win Bundesliga titles consistently. And last year was obviously when they kind of really landed on the on the um, European scene. And Keiter's their best player with, with Emil Forsberg as well. But they're their two best players. And if they were to bow down and sell their best player after one season to Liverpool, a team who, who you know, to be fair, underperformed compared to Leipzig last season. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that last season's Leipzig against last season's Liverpool, I think I'd probably be with Leipzig to win it. So it's important for them not to just cave in straight away to, to a bids and, and let their player leave. So I think keeping him for another season shows that they've got that kind of mental resolve. Um, obviously, Kaito wanted to leave, so they couldn't kind of stop him completely. But I think that's partly why they were more, they were more willing to take a deal next year. And sacrifice the what, <coughs> however many millions of pounds. Yeah, I think they've saved... A, although, because... Again, there was reported that his 48 million release clause ran out. So it's, it's 48 million plus a bit of yeah. pl- an undetermined number or, or a number that <laughs> they don't want to say. So it's a bit more than they would have paid if they signed him this season, but it's also going to be much less than what we'd be going for next year. So one season of Kaita for Leipzig in the Champions League and the Bundesliga could result in them being massive heavyweights in the, in the uh, transfer window next year. So if they if they can get into the knockout stage of the Champions League and finish second again, then they're going to be an incredibly attractive prospect for young footballers across the world, really. They must be absolutely loaded as well. They must be riddled with loopholes. Absolutely lo- loaded, yeah. They don't need the cash. Don't, uh, what, what loophole do they use? They're just like, oh yeah, we've got this huge crate of Red Bull drinks. We're going to get a lawsuit from Red Bull. If like this, so we've got to be careful. It's worth 400 million euros worth of Red Bull just turned up at the door. We've sold it all on eBay immediately. It's fine. It's all profit. Anyway, tops off for the Stat Showdown. Jake, put your trousers on. Stat Showdown. All right, we have two straight shooters here, specifically with stats. Which one are you gunslingers? Is going first. I, I'm going to look in. I'm looking deep into your souls. Jake wants it more. Jake needs it more. Jake, you've also got a bit of a you've got a bit of a moustache going as well, yeah. which makes you think this isn't your first you know showdown. I know it's not because you did one last week, but it's <laughs> oh, not. I'm your trying first to grow jewel. into the role completely. Embra- embracing <laughs> the showdown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So my my first stat going on the England theme earlier. Ooh. I thought this was really interesting. So Nathaniel Halibar has got his first England call-up. And he's actually played more top, top flight minutes this season for Watford, played 270, played every minute of every game, mm-hmm. than he's managed in his entire career before that, which includes at time at Chelsea and time at Napoli. So 270 minutes compared to 254 minutes in his previous five, four or five seasons. That is good. That I'll, is good, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do an England one as well, obviously. Shoot straight with it, though. Um, England looking for a new captain. The most likely, the favourite of the bookmakers is Harry Kane. Oh, oh no. We all know Harry Kane doesn't like August. Last season, Harry Kane, in all, all seasons, scored 29 goals for 110 shots. That's one goal every 3.8 shots. So far in the Premier League, he's had 24 shots and he's yet to score a goal. Okay. 
All right, you've both, you've both shot. The, the stat bullets are flying into the, each other's directions, but one of you has shot straight but slightly in the wrong direction. I'm going to say, Jake, you shot straightest with that one. You take a 1-0 lead. George, come back at him. All right. So David Villa has been called up to the uh, Spain squad for the first time since uh, 2014 World Cup, um, which is actually when he moved to the MLS. In his whole Barcelona career, he scored 41 goals at 0.54 per 90. Since being at MLS, he has scored 60 goals in three seasons at 0.7 per 90. So fair enough. Great decision. Scoring, he's scoring goals, Jake. Can you score the goal here? I'll go international and I'm going to go looking a bit to something that might happen. All right. And um, Robert Lewandowski is currently on an 11 match qualifying scoring streak. So if okay. he scores in his next match, he would have scored in 12 consecutive European qualifiers, European Championship and World Cup. And he's only two goals away from equaling the most ever scored in a European qualifying campaign. I'm a man who loves a bit of nostalgia. And for me, David Villa is a nice nostalgia act. A 35-year-old man. George, I think you've you've shot straight into Jake's arm there. You're both, you're both walking wounded, looking at each other. Drawing your drawing your stat guns up for one final shot. See, this is where a decision. This is why I shouldn't prepare more than three. Because now, <laughs> oh, I don't know whether to go with my main man Kylian Mbappe or Alexis. Your I main you're man. Go with that. I've got an Alexis Sanchez one as well. A bit of propaganda. I'll go with Alexis Sanchez because he's most likely to move today. So this is a bit of people can use this. Since moving to the Premier League, Alexis Sanchez has misplaced the most passes in the entire division. One thousand and seventy-five. 75. That was a good stat. Uh, that was a really I'm, good stat, I'm, I'm, George. I'm, come I'm, on. I might just fall on my swords. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I physically exhaled. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought I was going to be tuning up here, so this is, this is my, my weakest of the lot. Can you come out with that? This is terrible. I was unbeaten for this. Uh, England go to yes. Malta um, this weekend. Um, they have only played Malta away twice in history, and both of them, they won, but only by one goal margin. 1 0 and 2 1 away at Malta. Well, it, pff, uh, yeah, that is that is a weak stat. Yeah. Well, England have only beaten a minnow 1 0 twice. It's hardly surprising. 1 0 2 1. A 1 0 2 1. Yeah. Emil Heskey scored the winner last time. That's probably, that's probably the stat, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Emil Heskey yeah. scored. They're win, so bad. Instant win. And, and Martin Keown got the opener. I mean, that's a good oh, goal. That, that was so that, much better. That is, yeah. that you is should have gone for that. And, and, Richard, didn't. and Richard Wright scored the own goal for Malta. Oh, God. Imagine if you'd gone for that. You wouldn't be lying dead on the floor riddled ah, with stat bullets. At least the listeners know now, though. That's a good thing. I, bought, I once bought a Richard Wright goalkeeping shirt. I didn't know his number as well, so I got number one. Oh. He, was never, <laughs> he was never number one at Arsenal. Well, Jake, you've left you've left George lying in a pool of his statty blood. Uh, Jake, where can people find you on the internet if they want to also be ridden with stat bullets? Yeah, they want more stats fired at them. Uh, the best place for me is on Twitter at Jake Entwistle. E N T W I S T L E. No H. You won't find me. <laughs> That's his full name on Twitter. And George, where can we find you? Yeah, on Twitter as well uh, at George Ellick. E L E K. That's his full. Well, I was about name. to say that's also not got a H in it. It's his full name, and my full name on Twitter is also followed by an underscore and a WHS at Rob Armstrong underscore WH for a tweet every seven months, and we'll see you next time on Defending in Numbers. Defending in Numbers is a Deezer Originals production. You can find and download more episodes on Deezer and all major podcast providers. Deezer, Deezer. Originals. <laughs> <laughs>